Illinois faces some big challenges. Today, you're about to hear a truly honest analysis of the problems we face. Equally important, you'll also hear an in-depth discussion of some practical solutions. This is your radio source for stories, the insight, and the answers you won't hear anywhere else. Not on the media, and not coming from Springfield. You're listening to Illinois Rising, presented by the Illinois Opportunity Project. Now, here's your host, AM560's Dan Proft. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Rising. Dan Proft, co-host of Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, weekdays 5 to 9 a.m. with Amy Jacobson. My uh, co-host on this edition of Rising, Pat Hughes, co-founder of the Illinois Opportunity Project. And uh, Pat, a press conference this week that uh, featured a group of Republican legislators and legislative candidates and uh, former Comptroller Leslie Munger, uh, the topic being all the money that uh, Madigan is pouring into suburban house races and uh, the form it's taking in terms of these cut-and-paste mailers that allege all sorts of things that are absurd. Uh, And it was sort of nice to see, because that's not new, and him cutting and pasting names with the same uh, assertion, that's not new. But seeing candidates and legislators get together to present to the press exactly what's doing in the hopes that they amplify to the public so they see how Madigan is trying to scam them with things that are not true and are not even plausible, meaning federal issues that are not the purview of the state and um, how he promotes uh, candidates supporting one policy when they're candidates and then he kills that policy when they become legislators. So the, the sort of sleight of hand of Madigan doing a, a better job of exposing that and educating the public about it by coming together to discuss it was um, was helpful as people start to tune in to the November 6th election. Yeah, I, what, what, what's encouraging to me about this is the togetherness of it, where, where these candidates and office holders who are obviously you know, running for re-election again are working in concert with, you know, uh, people of prominence, statewide prominence, former controller Munger and Jeannie Ives, who narrowly lost her uh, race to be the, gu- the gubernatorial nominee, uh, is, is heartening because it sends a unified message that we're not going to tolerate this nonsense. We're going we're gonna to draw fire on Madigan. We're going to fight back and, and, and call him out for his lies collectively, which is much more powerful than if everyone's doing it in an individual silo. So it's encouraging people are willing to work together to get that done. Uh, for uh, more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by one of the state representatives who is at that press conference. He's the floor leader for the House Republicans, State Representative Peter Breen from Lombard out DuPage County way. Peter, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, glad to be here. So uh, do you think that uh, folks in uh, DuPage County and Lombard and Glen Allen, your district, um, are getting kind of the... Uh, a more clear picture of just how Madigan operates and so seeing through some of what uh, your opponent and the opponents of your colleagues are doing? Well, and, and yes, I think so. So when we knock on doors, talk to folks, the, the issue of Madigan's control of the state government is something that very much resonates with uh, with the residents. The, the problem is, you know, the reason we brought together the folks to talk about this as a, a, a bigger picture in the press conference is that it looks like each of your representative candidates is running against an individual. And the problem is that individual has been handpicked by the Madigan machine. Nearly all of their campaign funds have been provided by Madigan. But, but you, the regular voter, 
who's looking at a ball- you know, long ballot and your state rep is maybe 10 spots down, you, you don't have time to follow all of this. So you really need a, a group of folks to come together, a group of legislators and candidates to come together and point it out so that the people of Illinois understand, hey, this is what's happening. You know, that, 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 tenth, that tenth spot down on my ballot may not seem like much, but that's what, you know, the state rep candidates, the state senate candidates, those are the people that make or break your property tax burden. They make or break your income tax burden. They, you know, they're the folks that either make or break the future of this state. Um, you know, everyone focuses on uh, the national politics. They're focusing on, focusing on the gubernatorial, and it, which, sure, that's fine. But boy, it's it's these folks down ballot, folks at the legislative legislative level, that are really in control of whether the state succeeds or fails. And Peter, do your does your opponent and do the opponents of the other legislators that and, and prospective legislators that you had the press conference with yesterday, do the opponents cloud this as well when they're doing their messaging when they're going door to door? Do you hear people say, well, you know, Peter, your opponent told me that she's completely independent of, of Michael Madigan and, and she's not, you know, ha- going to do his bidding. He's going to do my bidding. What, what, are, what are the candidates saying to distance themselves and make uh, your sales pitch harder to do on connecting the dots? Right. And, and, and so, again, you know, this I mean, this is a it's, it's a fight between two competing messages. Uh, my opponent in particular, we had our, we had our editorial board interview just uh, recently, had one of them in front of the Sun-Times. And if, if she didn't say the word independent once, she said it 10 times. And you're looking at it going, you're independent, except you've received $220,000, nearly all of your campaign spending, from Madigan's organizations. Uh, and, and certainly, so what, what we've tried to do is then point out to our, our voters, hey, you, you follow the money. I mean, everybody knows that, you know, if you, you, know, you try to grab things that people can really sink their teeth into, because this, this idea, well, Madigan controls, well, well, how is he controlling? You say, hey, here's the cash. Everybody responds, uh, particularly my folks, respond to the money. They want to see that, that tie. And so we try to, we try to drive that home for folks, uh, you know, and, and she will, and the Madigan strategy is really, it's one of grabbing an overwhelming financial advantage because he is funded by everyone that gets money out of the state government. He centralizes, you know, gets all of their donations and then starts putting it out towards targeted rep races. So it's both an overwhelming financial advantage and then this willingness to lie. I, I, I mean, I've got to tell you, you know, you want to attack me, I've got a four-year record. I'm sure there are some things that folks might disagree with, but in every single one of her mail pieces, there is a demonstrably false statement about me. It's 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 like they went out of their way to lie, uh, and and just you know I that those two things together are what has helped Madigan and his organization win these elections, despite the best interests of the people and despite all of the, you know the, the junk that uh, the Madigan machine has has uh, thrown on the state. Give, give us an example. I mean, you know, I know there's there's a reticence to repeat the lie, but uh, it's getting repeated so much by Madigan, everybody's going to hear it anyway. So you might as well address it straight away. Give us an example. Well, it, it's it's the, the 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 this tired theme of war on women. Uh, that somehow, uh, uh, you know, in, in particular, they'll they'll say uh, uh, that somehow I don't support equal pay for women, which is a flat out lie. And 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 my opponent tried to repeat it in front of the Sun Times editorial board. And and these are folks that are more on the left than the right. But even they weren't taking the lie from her when she actually tried to portray it. And so I was able to to say, hey, here's my actual position. We have an equal pay act on the books. It's been on the books for over a decade. The difficulty is that the other side, through their, their trial lawyers, they were trying to turn, pervert this act so as to turn it into a burden on small businesses that are just trying to get by. 
Um, and so when I explained that to the editorial board, my my opponent had no answer, and they're looking at her, going, "Well, what? Why are you making this claim?" <laughs> So, and again, and, you know, you've got to call them out. Right. And then the, the problem you have, of course, is that you don't get to have that extended hour conversation or half hour conversation with every one of your constituents so that they understand the uh, the lies and the misdirection plays and the mischaracterizations that are being promulgated by your opponent. Right. Right. And, and, and you know, you know, you want to control the message. And I don't want to be sitting there debating the finer points of this, right. uh, you know, thing that she's lying about. I want to talk about, the, you know, the, the fact that, our, you know, our homes are being taken from us through this property tax burden, that, that our, our families are having to move away. I had to put my own brother-in-law, my wife's youngest brother, her little brother, in a U-Haul with his wife and their beautiful little two-year-old girl, baby girl, who's a cousin of our little Matthew. They love playing together. We had to put them in a U-Haul. They've left the state now just a few weeks ago. And so our little guy is not going to see his cousin nearly at all. Uh, because my brother-in-law, military veteran, engineering degree, just recently got his engineering degree, he didn't see a future for himself in the state. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to talk about. That's what I care about. I want that flow of people to, to stop. I mean, I want folks to come to Illinois to build lives and businesses and, and families here. Peter, isn't it part of the problem that that your opponent is probably going door-to-door and, and saying those very same things, even though... Uh, she doesn't believe those things or she's going to have to do the bidding of the Democrats who have put your uh, uh, the person in your story in that position and so many others as our net migration number just increases. What out migration? So, so how do you handle that when she's saying the same thing at the door that you are about property taxes, about about people fleeing and how she's going to change it because she's an independent voice and Springfield's corrupt. And by the way, Peter's part of Springfield. Well, and that that hey, it's a challenge of messaging, and it's a challenge of persuasion. So far, we've been outspent probably three to one. So I'm I'm the sitting state rep. I'm the floor leader. I've been outspent about three to one by Madigan because he has put money into this race like nobody's business. Uh, but what what we've got the advantage of is first off, we have the truth, and so that helps. You know, that's worth a good bit. Sure, there. it always helps to have know. the truth on your side. It, it, yeah. it is helpful. Uh, I've got a record. So I'm not just somebody that's talked about this. I've actually frozen property taxes. When I was on the Lombard Village Board, first time in 20 years, I got a property tax freeze through, eliminated the village vehicle sticker. Uh, But my messaging, we just try to be targeted, and we do not sit there and try to complicate it too much. We try to be targeted in our messaging, and and we're efficient. I mean, I've got pretty much an all-volunteer crew, and so we... You know, we do everything a lot less expensively than the Democrats do. But, you know, that, that's, that's how I'm able to do it. Uh, but I'm a sitting state rep. I can't even imagine how new candidates who are trying to take out these, these Democrats that have been just sitting there and voting with Madigan against their districts, that is a much tougher job for them. And the people of Illinois, that's why we've got to get together. We had to do this press conference to try to raise the consciousness of people in Illinois to understand what is being done to them by Madigan and his machine. He is Peter Breen, state representative uh, out of Lombard, DuPage County. Uh, you can get more information on his candidacy at VoteBreen, B-R-E-E-N.com, VoteBreen.com. Peter, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, great to talk. Bye-bye. Pat, the state of Illinois is uh, throwing more interceptions than Matt Stafford did in week one against the Jets. Chicago, the latest municipality to face a diversion of state money as a result of the pension intercept law. Love this law, Dan. This is a fascinating law. Took effect in 2018. This is what uh, led the city of Harvey to lay off half their police force, uh, North Chicago having to do the same. Under this law, municipalities that fail to make full contributions to their police or fire pension funds can see state money meant for 
the local unit of government diverted, intercepted, if you will, directly to uh, by the pension funds to be uh, used to fund the pension obligations that are accruing at the local level. So uh, the reason Chicago could be the latest municipality to face this diversion of state money uh, is the same reason that uh, Tiny Dancer is trying to borrow $10 billion on his way out the door is because the police and fire pensions in Chicago are circling the drain. So so two things. First off, Matthew Stafford, Georgia Bulldog, my daughter Anna, Georgia Bulldog. Second thing is think about okay. this, think about this law, Dan, okay? I got to get my plug in for. Her. Yeah. Think think about think about this law. Okay? I've gone with Herschel Walker as the comparison well, you mentioned, rather than Matthew. You Stafford. mentioned Matthew Stafford. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have gone with Fran Tarkenton or Herschel Walker or, or, or Todd Gurley. Um think of a concept where current tax dollars that people are paying into the state are being diverted from services just to pay these pensions, right? This is the problem we've been talking about ad nauseum and forever, and this is a perfect example of how it actually impacts it. You pay your taxes expecting that there's going to be public parks, schools, police, fire, all the things you just mentioned, and instead it's just going to cover pension costs because they haven't been managed properly, they've been promised too much, and this is what this is this, this is a state law that we came up with because the pensioners control our, control our government. The, the, the public, public sector, sector unions, unions control yeah. our government. For more on this topic, we're pleased to be joined by Bill Bergman, who is the Director of Research for Truth and Accounting, truthandaccounting.org, that uh, tracks things like this, the accounting of government at every level, and I'm glad somebody's doing, certainly the people in office aren't. Bill, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi, good morning, Dan. Good morning, and I should have mentioned in the interest of full disclosure, I'm on the Board of Truth and Accounting. Uh, So uh, the pension shortfalls and uh, the interceptions that are occurring the uh, short-term implications with the uh, police and fire pension funds in Illinois, I mean in Chicago, excuse me, that both of which are less than 25% funded. Well, the, uh, they're starting to grab for the lifeboats. That's the, you know, the, in, in failing situations, you tend to see um, more increasingly aggressive efforts to uh, carve out senior positions and ways in which you can make sure that you're going to get paid on your on your bills and and what what this pension intercept uh, development indicates is that they're they're starting to try to get the first lifeboats perhaps on the Titanic. It's a it's a it's an ominous development. Uh, normally, when you you know if you Google Chicago and intercept, you expect to see things like maybe articles about Bob Avellini or Cade McNown. But if you Google DUI, you'll get articles about Bob Avellini. Bob, right Ab- Bob Avellini, I'm impressed. Yeah. Vince Evans, Bob Avellini, I'm impressed. Yeah. Well, that's maybe dating myself, but the yeah. but the, the main Neil point Armstrong is that in era. fact you're yes. you're you're getting you're get it's 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 a scary development, and the city needs to wake up, and the, and the state of Illinois, the the dollar amounts that we're talking about here, the the, the Chicago firefighter plan is roughly twenty percent funded based on their own accounting methods. That means that they've got, and in fact, you know, we it's when we think about the fact that they're definitely underfunded it's you do overlook the fact that they actually have a lot of money they have a billion dollars roughly in invested assets but that's only one-fifth of the amount to um required for the present value of all the promises that have been made to these folks that have you know that that are out there doing work for us that's valuable but the um but the city and and the state in general have done a very irresponsible it, job of, of, of funding those plans. But, so, Bill, just give us a, an understanding, because I've, we've looked at um, 
the police pension fund in Chicago. And based on their own filings with the Department of Insurance, it looks like they run out of money by the end of 2021. When you have a fire pension fund, like you just mentioned, that's 20 percent funded in terms of the obligations that have accrued, according to their own accounting. What does that mean? I mean, what's ter- what's the you know medium term viability of that fund? Explain that to people. Well, it's not going to run out of money tomorrow. However, um, in the medium term, I'm saying five, ten years or so from now, uh, the reason why these intercepts are happening is that they want to make sure that these runout dates, which um, under under one method, this 20% disc, it depends on a discount rate that is used to discount future liabilities. And in fact, in recent years, Chicago has used a blended discount rate. Um, this gets kind of technical, but it's an important thing to, to note that there, we, we believe, and others do too, that um, they use in investment rate of return assumptions for the uh, discount rate, which is perhaps one thing that makes the situation look even better than it really is. However, the new accounting standards have also begun to require these folks to start using blended discount rates if they have a runout date when there are no longer any assets to pay for the um, for the pensions. And under current accounting, the uh, the runout date for the Chicago Fire Plan is 2070, which is you know that's out there. So in the near term, we're not going to have to have a problem paying pensions. But there's a fight over the possible implication that in fact they are going to run out of money, and and that's what we're seeing today. So, so Bill, if it's one fifth funded, what would the rate of return have to be for for this to be sustainable? The answer is there is no rate of return. You'd have to put it on a craps table in Vegas uh, and hope for the best. What should- and in fact, and in fact, they have very risky investment portfolios, and in part because under they need to get a know, higher rate of return. They, that's they're, they're seeking this stuff, and you and I are the effectively, even if we're not in the stock market, we're effectively in the stock market because we get the downside. And and it's uh, that's another you know under these, this pension intercept law is under the uh, there's a fiduciary duty theoretically for the for the pension trustees to demand the intercept under current law and um, I, I'm going to recommend a, a really cool law review article that came out over the weekend from a professor at Ohio State making a, a radical recommendation that fiduciary duties for pension plans be transformed and not directed towards the pension plan beneficiaries, but to the public and the, to the taxpayers. That's their first duty for these pension plans. Um, take a look at it. Paul Rose wrote it, and it's, a, uh, it's in the Illinois Law Review. I hope you didn't let your subscription run out, Pat. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll, I'll get that for you, Dan. I, I follow all the law reviews as a, as a lawyer. Uh, so is that so? Is what's laid out in that article the solution? And if you could tell the listeners, obviously this isn't the solution. What what kind of things should we be looking at as policy uh, advocates that could potentially, before twenty seventy, uh, help this situation be better than what's currently planned? Well, I think one policy option that is being discussed, Truth and Accounting doesn't have an official position on this, but there are growing efforts to um, secure the possibility of extraordinary insolvency resolution for the city, for its pension plans, and even potentially for the state of Illinois under a different legal framework. And that's the efforts to allow for um, bankruptcy resolutions in, in conditions like this. And, and that's something to take a look at. James Beato at Chapman and Cutler is uh, 
someone who's uh, helped develop a proposed law that would move in that direction. And and just as, talk again about these kind of the implications of things that are being proposed, like I mentioned, a tiny dancer wanting to borrow $10 billion to uh, stave off uh, the uh, death spiral of the Chicago police and fire pension funds. You know what that means. The borrowing, at, particularly at uh, usurious, otherwise usurious rates in this environment, because Illinois' bond rating is so bad, um, that's those are just backdoor tax increases. But I, I think people don't read it like that the way it's reported. It, it sounds like those those pension obligation bonds can be a way to quote fix the uh, pension plans, and it certainly does help the pension plans. They are mo- much more unambiguously secured for for the future for the pensioners. However, you and I as taxpayers are um, on the downside. The city's balance sheet gets bigger, and the risk for uh, the possibility of a downturn in, in investment returns is is on our shoulders, and the fund has the assets. Yeah, I think that's one of the scary things about all this build is that, is that what happens, like the, the stock market under the Trump administration has just been like historically on fire. And what happens when that all comes to an end, which inevitably it will, right? And, and you'll have lulls and you'll have economic downturns. And, you know, these, these folks are anticipating returns uh, in the current uh, environment that they're not getting. What's going to happen when that all comes tumbling down a little bit and there's no way to get those returns? Well, under current law, and again, this is a matter of uh, current interest for efforts to secure bankruptcy possibilities, but under current law, with the benefits guaranteed to the recipients under the Illinois Supreme Court rulings, the, um, the, the downside is, you know, of any downturn in the equity markets is borne by taxpayers, because um, if the money isn't there in the investments, the, the dollars for contributions have to come from taxes, and so effectively the, the risk is, is on our shoulders as taxpayers on the downside. Bill Bergman, Director of Research for Truth and Accounting, truthandaccounting.org. Bill, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Great. Have a good day. You too. Incident occurred up in Lake County in Grays Lake that had uh, the uh, target been a Democrat. This would be leading the 10 o'clock news in Chicago. But since it was a Republican candidate for state representative, nobody's much interested in picking it up. And it's not about defacing a yard sign, which is the issue. It's about the nature of how a yard sign was defaced. Ken Edstein is a Republican candidate for state rep in Grays Lake and a longtime businessman up there, mortgage broker. Uh, A uh, Lake County board member, Larry Leafblad, had an Edstein for state representative yard sign in his yard, and uh, it got uh, spray-painted with uh, Ken Edstein's A, blank gutter slur for a gay person that begins with F and ends with T. I think people can connect the dots there. And um, no uh, response that I've seen from his Im- opponent, incumbent Sam Yingling, the uh, largest beneficiary of Mike Madigan money of any member of the House Democrat Caucus, $1.5 million. No interest from the press, as far as I've seen, other than the local paper that I started that uh, covered the story after Edstein issued a statement about it, and Larry Leafblad talked about it as well. I mean, he's an elected official. Uh, What does that say about um, the political culture here uh, as well as the media coverage of said political culture, or, you know, are we making too much of this? We're not making too much of it, right? This is when the left does insidious, horrible things that they accuse the right of doing. Uh, And in this particular case, Dan, uh, it's particularly egregious because 
uh, Representative Yingling is a, is a gay person, and he, uh, you would think the outrage over this type of slur, and it's a disgusting slur, um, that he, he'd be on top of it and say, look, I don't accept this, uh, you know, particularly as, you know, as a gay American. I don't accept this. I think this is horrible. No one should be subjected to this. This is the type of thing I've fought against my entire life. But the fact that even in that sort of personal circumstance in his own life, gets bypassed. This is like what you talked about. I don't remember who the legislator was who got picked up. It was Deb Conroy or whoever got sexually yeah, harassed right. and wouldn't come. Right. The fact that you won't stand up, Samuel Lincoln won't stand, stand up and against this just shows how craven the political environment is uh, because he's probably being told not to say anything and let it die for his own political benefit, which, you know, is to me really the story. I mean, it's terrible. Uh, it's a terrible slur. It shouldn't happen. And then the fact that he Sam won't stand up against this, given his circumstances, is incredible to me. Yeah, it seems like I, I don't know if it, where the intersection of cowardice and uh, uh, vituperativeness uh, occurs, but it, it, such hatred for Ken Edstein. I mean, he was a difficult guy to hate. He's just like a regular nice guy, chamber of commerce guy. I mean, it's almost like you know he, he's almost like cut and pasted out of a chamber of commerce brochure. Kenenstein, this regular family guy up there, um, that you wouldn't say, like you said, especially with your position, say, well, this is something we can agree on. There's no place for this, and I'm sorry that happened to you, and please replace the sign. And I've directed my volunteers not, you know, if you know who did this, then identify them and make sure that we're keeping our opponents signed where they're at, and we're not playing those silly games. It's such a simple, like, human statement to make, but it's beyond the capacity of politicians in this state, so many, like apparently Yingling, to make that statement. Yingling, and then, of course, your second part of this is the press, right? I mean, how how in the world is this not coverage picked up, particularly given uh, the circumstance of Sam not saying anything and being a gay American? I'm going to keep using that. Um, how in the world did they not pick up on that little angle? And like you said, if this had been on one of Sam's signs... Okay. Yeah, the world would be collapsing. It would be on MSNBC. It would be everywhere, and it would be it would be evidence of just how vile and anti-gay and misogynist and racist Republicans are everywhere. And the press would pick it up and eat it up. And the fact that they don't do it this way is very telling. Well, speaking of the, something the press has picked up, the uh, the curious case of Jerry Long's candidacy, incumbent state rep from Ottawa area down LaSalle County who uh, was being supported by the House Republican organization until he wasn't, uh, a, a longtime L.A. of his, legislative assistant, made some sort of allegation against him of being mean, I guess. I, I don't know. I haven't seen the specifics of it. It's just sort of the rumor mill. But it doesn't seem to be of a sexual nature. Um, and uh, House Republicans pulled out, like, right away, and they're called, they're, you've got... Uh, Durkin, the House Minority Leader, running around to all these other Republican incumbent legislators calling on them to call on Jerry Long to resign and to step down. And from what I understand is they don't even have a replacement candidate. This is a seat that was held by a Democrat for two decades that Republicans won. Jerry Long won two years ago. And it seems like House Republicans are content on just conceding the seat to the Democrats or, or forcing or trying to force Jerry Long to do so by resigning without a clear a, 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 a clear indicator of who would replace him and the viability of that candidacy in the context of a 50 day campaign. It's just it's just it's weird to me how you go from zero to nuclear that fast 
if you're really invested in that incumbent and without any details about an allegation from a longtime legislative assistant of of the candidates and the the incumbents. Well, it does a few things. It shows the environment that we're in, where politically there is a giant rush to judgment and and fear of being tagged with something bad even before you investigate it, and that that's just something that's happening everywhere. Um, it 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 also shows to me at least that they didn't think that the long race was worth protecting, and he had an uphill battle anyway because of what you just said about this being a a Republican district. Now, the interesting thing about it is anyone. Uh, listeners know about Jerry Long is he's a very particular fit for that district, right? It's a heavily blue collar working district, a lot of union memberships. He he's a private sector union guy. He's a truck driver, and so he sort of fit a mold that a that a Republican could win in that district. So the idea that uh, you could just drop him and put someone else in there in fifty days and win is 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 not true, right? It would have to yeah, be a particular w- kind of person. So winning these seats has been painstaking. Uh, right. You may notice the disparity in how many Republicans versus how many Democrats. Uh, operate in the house. The other thing it sends is it sends a message to other people that want to get involved in the party, who want to get involved in electoral politics, who want to run for state rep. It sends a message to them that, you know, no one's going to have their back. And, you know, I'm in the business of recruiting candidates in, our, in my private life. And it, and it, it's hard to get people to give up their, their private lives, successful private lives to come and be part, be, you know, have the, have, have the F word put on your sign in front of your friend's house. It's hard to do that. And, and not having the back of people sends a signal that, hey, if something goes a little bit wrong, we won't be here for you. I think that's the wrong message to send. The other signal that's sent by this story, because the county chairman, Republican county chairman of the district and the Republican state central committeeman who represents that district on the uh, state central committee for the state party are all backing long and he's staying in. The other thing it signals is the civil war that goes on, that's going on in the Republican party continues unabated. Dan and Pat back on this edition of Illinois Rising and the uh, field for the mayoralty of Chicago got more crowded this week. You had uh, dopey Bill Daly enter. you got uh, Gary Chico taking another crack at it. Uh, Queen Sugar uh, in the process of formally moving her way in. Here's what uh, Bill Daly had to say upon his announcement at the outset of the week. You know, he's not... Uh, Walking away from his name. I'm not going to change my name while we go on the record, first of all. Uh, some people like our name. Some people don't. Uh, I would hope that they would give Bill Daly the opportunity to present himself, his credentials, his background, and what he plans to do for the city. Yeah, uh, well, we, we will give you the opportunity to, to do that. We did uh, in the Democrat primary uh, against Pat Quinn in 2014, and you lasted uh, about eight weeks. Uh, realizing uh, apparently after the fact that uh, that would require campaigning outside of the Chicago city limits. Um, so it's not da- the daily name I dislike. I'm sure there are some very nice dailies. I don't know. Uh, it's Bill Daly I dislike because he's uh, a hack who has coasted off of his name, never accomplishing anything in his own right in his life. He's always been a guy, put Bill Daly here, give him a title to satisfy the power structure. And yeah, he's can, he can get rich doing it. Just kind of keep him out of the way. That was a story at Ameritech when he uh, introduced Bruce Rahner to Rahm Emanuel so that everybody could get paid. That was the deal of JP Morgan where he wired up the parking meter deal for his brother and really for Morgan Stanley who made out 
And, uh, you know, that was the deal with his political sinecures to commerce secretary, chief of staff, photoshopping him into the situation room during the bin Laden raid and all of the nonsense. Uh, this guy is, um, uh, well, it will be interesting. You obviously understand my perspective on him. It will be interesting to see if I'm right that the appetite outside of C-suites and rent-seeking business owners in the city uh, for another daily is quite limited. Yeah, I think that you know, this has a little bit of a Democrat Jeb Bush feel to it to me, where yeah. you have the least talented of the family out there running off of latent name ID and all the things that you just referenced. And I think the days of that, Dan, I don't think they're over, but I think they're starting to come to an end. I think people are starting to stop the idea that this seat belongs to this family. The political family dynasties are are less. I think people view it less that way. So I don't think that the fact that he's got this famous name is going to help him. I think there's a lot of people who have a bad taste in their mouth off of what Richie Daly did, at least in the last part of his mayorship not not in the mid 90s when things were cranking but in the last part of it so i i don't think his name is going to help him you can tell just from that very quick clip that he's not politically talented he doesn't sound particularly sharp uh he's just throwing his hat in the ring to see if it sticks in my opinion and he does this quite often as you mentioned earlier well one of the things that uh, he's seen people get away with is having essentially not accomplished anything and still being elected to high office and a lot of times they don't accomplish anything but they have these impressive titles on their CV. And that's what he's referencing when he says, look at, you know, what I've done, what I've been, what I've done. I've had this post, you know, having a, a credential is not the same thing as being qualified. Um, but I think, uh, a lot of people don't make that distinction and a lot of, and, and a lot of candidates hope they don't make that distinction. Bill Daly continued with, we have serious problems. We've got to address the crime problem. We've got to make the city more affordable, yeah. and we've got to make it stronger, stronger economically. But this election is not about the last eight, the last 40. It's about the next four years. He's prospective. He's forward-looking, and he's got his finger on the pulse of what's wrong. We've got crime. We need to eliminate it. We've got uh, uh, usurious tax burdens that make the city unaffordable. We've got to address that in some material way that will be determined later you know we have to educate kids we have to do everything that's good and none of the things that are bad and that's his platform yeah and and, and even listening to that clip even further and i'm not of course i'm not saying that he that he's that he's drunk i'm sure he's not but he sounds like it he has there's no there's no authority in what he's saying he's he's running off pablum that he's done so many times and and look this is a very crowded field but it's not as crowded i think as people think at the top there's going to be three or four highly you know, known, uh, financed competitors that he's going to have to com combat who are better politicians than he is, who have more current things on which to, to point to failures in our view. Uh, so I, my view of Bill Daly is it's not going to go well for him. Well, uh, I, that seems, um, like there's no kind of groundswell out of the gate. That's for certain, but, uh, Let's not change a thing in 2019. Bill Daly for mayor. He's signing up some of the financier class. There's no question who are uh, completely, <laughs> completely unshamed by the place in which they have helped bring us in Chicago and Illinois, uh, such that they would uh, essentially argue that uh, he's the least worst of the field rather than in a race right now to maybe 20 percent to get to a runoff. Uh, expand the field by with somebody new 
that actually would have a skill sets to chart a different course when I think even in Chicago there's an appetite for that different course. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, too, just what you mentioned, because you'll remember because you ran in this primary and I was running in a different primary where the Republican gubernatorial race in 2010 was was so bifurcated or trifurcated or however many bifurcated yeah. there were um, that you had Bill Brady, who, in my view, would not have been a good governor and would not have. And that's my view. I like Bill personally, but I, you know, he won, He, you know, with 20 percent, 21 percent, 21 percent or whatever right. it was. So so what ends up happening is, you know, there's a real chance you get somebody in there um, in this instance who uh, is totally unprepared for the job. Not that this is a great field. Um, and then, you know, to me, you know, I, I, the field expands. I, I still, I, and I, I'm a Republican, but I still like Vallis. I mean, I would like people to get behind him in this field because I feel that at least he has decency. And I think that's something that's been lacking in City Hall uh, for a long, long time. Well, the other thing is, how about in this field where it's a complete jump ball? I mean, you know, here we go again, where the absence of a Republican Party really turns out to cost you a state that there's one party rule when you offer opportunity to um, uh, to to introduce a center right candidate into this process, I mean, you could argue Vallis is on, in some respects, but in many respects he's not. Uh, you can introduce a center right candidate and expand the parameters of discussion and consideration in the city to build for something in the future. Because if you don't do that and you just can continue to seed the city, then you're going to continue to seed control of the state to the Chicago Democrat men and women of always. And how's that working out? Uh, well, and this is this is the time to do it, Dan, because like you said, t- in a typical environment, it'd be very difficult in the city of Chicago and in, in, in sort of the political environment we're in now to draw enough vote to win the election. But when you only need to get 18, 19 percent for a runoff, this is your this is your numerical opportunity. And then once that happens, you have two months to make your case mano e mano, for lack of a better term. And and so this there's an opportunity here that's almost never here, and nobody is stepping into the breach and, and taking us up on it. To rebrand and reintroduce the Republican Party, too, to, in a place where you haven't had a center-right candidate since uh, Don Hader in 1987. I mean, it's an embarrassment, but, you know, I mean, where to begin with the embarrassments of the Republican Party? Down Metro Eastway, St. Clair County, they had um, a little Democrat... Uh, rally a little gotv rally got to get the troops out for the democrats slate from governor on down uh, here's how that went we got a great candidate for governor jb prisker he's gonna win he's gonna win big but he won't he won't win if we do not get out and vote we need to early vote like i say we can play east st louis Ruth, vote off and vote, vote early vote off and whatever you can get away with I shouldn't say that, but I really don't care. I didn't take it as a punchline uh, that he really doesn't care whatever you can get away with. And, uh, I mean, that should be the motto on our license plates, the political culture here. East St. Louis, which, of course, is Chicago Democrat control, sort of a mini uh, west or south side of Chicago. Uh, Generations of the same policies destroying that community as well. Um, so, you know, talking about vote early, vote often, like East St. Louis, well, that's you guys. That's right. you guys at this rally. Um, but there's no question that there's energy there uh, down that way. Mike Bost, another incumbent Republican member of Congress, like Roscom and Hultgren up here uh, in Chicago Metro, we're in very competitive races this cycle, and the Democrats are motivated. And the question is, uh, in areas that uh, went for Trump, went for Romney, 
uh, go for Republicans at the national level and have gone, obviously, for Mike Bost at the regional level for Congress uh, with the prospects of House and Senate Republican pickups in that region of the state. So a couple things. You know, first of all, you know, this is why you don't put, you know, guilty people on the witness stand because the truth has a tendency to leak out. Right. So that's what this guy, you know, he's talking in a way that he talks normally and then it leaked out. Right. So this is and and then, of course, if someone thinks there should be a voter ID law, it's because they're racist. Right. Right. So that's the whole play with respect to this. I mean, we obviously know this has gone on. Since the beginning of time, fraud is side of things. fraud is fiction. Even <laughs> with, even when you see evidence of people you know, actively promoting it, okay. And, and it's you know it's it's hard to tell exactly how this is going to play out. I mean, the, the sense that I get sitting here today is that Republicans are in a little bit of trouble nationwide, uh, and that could turn around just because the economy is so good nationwide, and so there's still that possibility. Um, but, you know, we have a very a, a top of the ticket in Governor Rauner, who at least right now is struggling. And, uh, oh, you and, think 27 percent of the vote for the incumbent governor is struggling? He's, he's struggling. And then and Erica Harold, who's you know supposed to be a wonderful person. You know, you and I both know her and a good candidate. She's also struggling. So the idea that, you know, there, there's some forecasting that shows that it could be bad everywhere, including in these strongholds. Now, my hope is that that's not going to be the case, that over the next however many days, things change and it goes from there. But sitting here right now, it's hard to deny that we're behind. Well, it's interesting, too, because you're right. There's a good piece by Bobby Jindal in the Wall Street Journal this week about how Democrats need to make the election nationally about these kind of cultural touchstones that Republicans handle so badly so often uh, because they can't make it about uh, economic self-interest because if you if it's a referendum on economic self-interest and the performance of the economy and people's household incomes as middle-income families, uh, the, the, the median is now over $61,000 real wage growth happening, well, then Democrats lose. Here, you think we'd be able to do one or both. You think we'd have both options at our disposal this week, uh, the uh, Winright Corporation in Elk Grove announcing $26 million uh, they're uh, investing into a new facility in Hobart, Indiana, while shuttering two facilities in Illinois. Um, so, but the problem we have is Republican governor, and that's part of the referendum. That's part of how people perceive who's responsible for the state languishing and for their homes being taken through uh, excessive property taxation, as we were talking about earlier in the show with Peter Breen. And so it really muddles it. And then if you don't make it about something local, an issue that's really economic self-interest and sort of quality of life interest, like your property taxes and the impact on home values and home equity and wealth creation and savings and future in the state, all those things wrapped up into your home, then it becomes a referendum on Rauner or Trump or just the political class, generally speaking. And you, it puts a lot of suburban Republican incumbents in trouble. Yeah, and I think that's why at least the ones that I talk to are not running. I'm not going to say they're running away from those things, but they're running aside them. It's I'm an independent person. I'm supporting myself independently. I'm not I'm not with any particular politician because it's really, given the environment you just laid out, the best way forward for them uh, to win their particular race. I think that's the only solution for those folks going forward, and that's why I think that you'll see that messaging from them. 